If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings, we'll be taking on chapter 6. We're continuing on with the theme that was last week's, build back. Do you remember the rest of it? It wasn't better. <laughs> it's the best. Build back the best. Now, uh, pardon? Yeah, build back biblically, comma, beautifully. Okay, so that's where we're going. As you understand, Solomon is involved right now in a construction project. And what you need to see is that God also is involved and has been before you were even aware, before you were even born, a construction project. Both taking place to complement the heavenlies, but also to continue on in his faithfulness towards humanity. Because the scriptures tell us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So if man is not to perish by having a relationship with God, then it means a placement from God has been predetermined. And therefore, not only where we are in life, but ultimately where we are headed when this tenure, this humanly earthly tenure, is finished. God is not through. He invites us to enjoy the rest of his story eternally. It's got some wonderful, beautiful pictures that the Bible gives us, but this happens to be one of them as well, a construction project. We want to see the Lord in this and what it means to us presently. Why? Because when God is doing a building work, he is one who's very precise. I cannot say that in all the building works that I do, I am precise. I sometimes have what has been jokingly referred to as the government's protocol. It's close enough. We're good. Get yeah, get her done. <laughs> uh, God makes allowances for that, but he doesn't leave it there because he is a God of perfection and he patiently affords both time for us to get that understood as well as the time that it takes for him to make corrections in our life. And so when we look at this, I'm going to anchor us in two passages that I think are important to seeing the heart of the Lord, especially when we talk about building back biblically beautifully. Jesus would say it. It's not the only thing that he says, but when the question was asked of him, what is the most important commandment, then he would simply say, and this you can mark back in Luke as the text that I'm going to take. The reason that I think this is really awesome is that in the 27th verse, he says, this is the first commandment that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Two component parts. What we find frequently getting wrong is that we emphasize the second part of it and forget that we started off with the first part of it. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, inner being, personality, everything related to what people say, you're relatable. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then what? Strength then you can love your neighbor. What we've become is 
a nation that forgets and individuals that also forget that without loving God first, we really cannot love ourselves, nor can we love a neighbor. We get it wrong. We move towards the middle to try and love ourselves, and then we try to love our neighbor to just make up the difference that we did not find in loving ourselves. And we forget that somewhere along the journey, we lost the most important part of what he said, loving the Lord our God. So when we look at that verse, I want you to understand that's imperative for reconstruction. It's important for what God is doing in our lives, which is a building project. We're being built, built up into a holy habitation. Now what I'm going to do is send you to another passage in the New Testament. I'm going to anchor you here in 2 Peter. Um, We'll pick it up in chapter 2. Here we go. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So a couple of principles there is the expectation that as he is retooling us, as he's working on us, as we know that we're being built up, it's not that you're going to be perfect from the get-go. It's a process of perfection. And he takes us actually back to the very early stages of what it's like to be an infant. An infant is completely dependent upon the source of their life, a mother and a father, a home. A home has two parallels to it, one domestic and two divine. The domestic is what you and I have been purposed to grow up in that's identified through a marriage. So guess what? Marriages get worked on, and we, those involved in marriages, are getting worked on. It's an institution that God both esteems and he also perfects. And it's a wonderful thing, and it's a coursework. And the coursework is finished not by degrees, but by ultimately your last breath to love someone until the day that you die. Why does the Lord put that in what is a familiar declaration in the vow? Because he loved us to the day of his death and loves us now to the extraordinary measure of his eternity. He passed satisfying and accomplished to serve and now in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, Construction projects going on for all of our residencies that we will share up there one day. He's living his life out through us on earth. He's very much intimately acquainted with us, and his desire in the nurturing of us is to that state of maturity that allows us to be functional and faithful and to see ultimately his kingdom expanded by really only just an agreeability that we have to say, huh, who would have thought God would do that through something that I'm doing here right now in this moment? Let's continue on, though, to see this picture that in our text in First Kings is important to see because it's pictured back there. It's illustrated right here in what we would call a precept. 
coming to him, verse 4, in this same area we left off at, as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Jesus was referred to as a living stone. We also know that the reference specifically is the chief cornerstone. He was rejected, actually, in a significant building project, actually the one that we're looking at today. That wouldn't be discovered until years and years and years and years and years and years, years later. So what does it mean? It means we have one who involved in a great project, even back then inspired through David and ultimately handed down to his son Solomon is a picture of that genealogy, the spiritual genealogy of God saying, I'm not finished. Satan has convinced people that I am. I'm not finished. I'm on the job. I'm at work and I'm working through you. And then he says, if I am as I was, the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone, then I'm going to make you as living stones. Notice what it says there in this. You also, verse 5, as living stones are being built up. That's present tense, not past. Not that you're through. Maybe you'd like it to be through. He has a different perspective on that than you and I. He's not through. You're being built up as living stones. And it says a spiritual house. That's where we're at right now. But also because of a work that God promised would be done. And specifically for what we now know is the church. And recorded in Acts chapter 2. And that would be the coming down or the coming upon the disciples in that room, 120, with the Spirit of God. They would never be simply the same. They would never simply be just ordinary whatevers. They were going to be extraordinary in the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon them to be not simply inanimate objects, but animated living stones that would be fitted together in a structure called the church. Beautiful. Beautiful in what it would represent on how such diversity could come together in unanimity. And this is what we see right now, even for you to be here today. I've had different perspectives today. I sat there. I sat over there. I stood over there. And I was marveling at both the worship that was ascending, but also the living stones that were singing. Isn't it interesting that Jesus when he was told to silence the disciples as he was coming in on that day of the triumphal entry. He says, if I, if I tell them to stop the rocks, the stones that you were passing by, even stepping over, they will cry out and sing. Guess what? You're that living stone crying out and singing. Pretty amazing. In what? The house that's being built up. But not simply this is a corporate house but also the housing department of the Holy Spirit. How would you like to be the Holy Spirit and finding out where your mission was going to be? It's going to be in that housing project right there. Now, God doesn't argue with himself, so he doesn't think like I just voiced. But if you were that, if you were that housing project, and you, by virtue of how closely you walk with God and how connected you are in the Spirit, and you would say, hmm, 
wasn't thinking about that neighborhood, wasn't thinking about that really being my residency. But God says, wonderful, beautiful. The heart's been opened up. The mouth, I have heard confession. That is my residency. And so all of us have become the residency of the Holy Spirit. And what this precept is saying, we're living stones. And therefore, it's extraordinary what God does in terms of fitting us together. So it continues to say that in this, both being living stones, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures. And this is where we see that he is identified as the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone of our faith. Going down as well, in the close of verse 8, it's saying, though he also is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Do you know people are offended with our faith today? Do you know that you might find yourself offended in the faith today, both by what is being done errantly, but also perhaps what is not being done necessarily enthusiastically? It can be a bit of both. It can be that in this time, the Lord would be saying, don't give up on how I'm placing you and what I'm wanting to do in you. You're a living stone. And what happens very often is that as Jesus would become a stumbling stone by the requirement of God for all people to accept him as God, and the one by which they would be forgiven by God, they stumble. They, how could that be? I'm involved in works that need to be my declaration of my spirituality. Well, it doesn't count. God doesn't count any work, any expression of work that is separate from his son, who has been the author of the work being done in our life. That's why we share the gospel, the message of good news about where we all potentially deserved to be, but where God, in his marvelous grace and mercy, allowed us to be rescued from. It continues to say that they stumble being disobedient to the word. This is the close of verse 8. And it says that in this as well, but you, excuse me, disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed, meaning there's vacillation, there's vacillation between one committed to the word and those who stand in opposition of the word. What are you going to be? What are you going to do? What decision will you make for God? But notice this. This tells us why this is a special work of God in making us living stones because it says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So that's, that's core as far as seeing a precept, a principle of doctrine that is pictured back in Solomon's time. We return back to First Kings now. Let's see what we already discovered last week, but so, just emphasizing this one point, and that was Solomon had entered into the lineage of faith. He grew up. He was by name 
one that the Lord declared loved by God, not simply a lover of God, but loved by God. And therefore, the one loved by God would now be principally established over what would be the known world back then to magnify the Lord in a glorious work that was promised to him, Solomon, through his father, David, who was one who followed hard after the Lord, had the heart of God. So we talked about how important it is for lineage, genealogy. Oh, we know that in our records, we can only go back maybe several, maybe 40 decades, 50. I could probably go back to 100 decades, 100 years of traceable Ablett-Adamson connection, both sides. Adamson on my mom's Scottish side, Ablett on my father's British side. And there's been a pretty good work by both my aunts, in particular, several of them, and my brother who's now in heaven, he worked extensively on the genealogy of the Ablett and the Adamson clans, if you would. We can go back pretty far. God can go back way farther. How would you like to see your connection way back farther? Well, you can. Adam was the beginning. So what I am saying in that is that in this building back biblically, beautifully, we have to understand the origin. We can't get so much into, for instance, this is my family, these were my parents. We have to say, but this now is really my family, the family of God. How do I love the family of God as significantly as I love my own, if you would, earthly family right now, the ones that I was born into? And we're to really be passionate about this family were to be really understanding that every single one of us are so precious to the Lord, including our domestic families, that there should be really hardly any kind of distinction between the two. There is. God's working on that. He works on that by working on us coming into a place like this, which is his holy house, a house of prayer. So right now what we saw is that by virtue of the virtue of David, what he had established in friendships and in camaraderie, it followed him to now the passing of the torch to his son, Solomon. And I shared that in many ways, I became a beneficiary of my father's reputation. My kids hopefully become beneficiaries of my reputation or you. But guess what? I become a beneficiary of your reputation. I did try to lay that out. I think without exception, you've been exceptional in either what you have done by coming here, what you have said about this work, the things that you would do for us, have done for us, are beneficiaries of one another. So here we move into the building program. The narrative in the beginning will tell us it's been about four years from the time that he was called He's already exercised wisdom in managing people, which is what God also has for us when we talk about building back biblically and beautifully. We are to exercise the things that we do with wisdom and discernment. We've already seen that. So here we go. And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, so this tells us the time frame in which they were delivered to the two kings that had now preceded Solomon 
that was going to be obviously Saul, who was evicted. After a long tenure, David, who lived a full life to the age of 70, and now Solomon right now, very likely in his mid-20s, I would say, not too much beyond that. And it tells us that over the time frame that they spent in Egypt, they now have spent in the promised land. And now we're ready. How long does it take for God to say, now we're ready? The time it takes to be following God and to be availing yourself, obviously, to the heart of God. Did Solomon do it all on his own? No. It happened because God saw him coming on the scene well in advance of David's multiple children that he would have had through multiple wives, God saw specifically how Solomon would come in to be a marker of grace and of mercy. These 400 plus years that have passed right now is the time frame that God says, now I'm going to do something beautiful. Not that I need it, but because David expressed his desire to do it for me. And so I want to also tell you that the desire that you have to do something for God, he does not take lightly. Whatever you can think that you would desire to do for God, he doesn't dismiss that as, Pfft. he says, I was so hoping that you would have that vision for me. Let's see if we can make that happen. In my lifetime, let's just see if we can make it happen. Does it matter if it's in your lifetime or does it matter simply that God would say, let's see if we can make that happen. And what if he says that particular vision that you have for me will be your reality when you come up here to be with me? What if that's as extraordinary or more so than anything that could happen to you on this earth? See, God wants us to live actually a life in the building back biblically, beautifully, that whether it's now or whether it's in eternity, it will be as much appreciated and as much of God as anything that you could hope for. I like that as a thought. Because as I'm getting older, I'm realizing there are things that I realize chronologically I probably will not see. If he does not come back to get us, me, all of us as a church, if I live to the length of what is my age expectancy, about 70 is what the scriptures say, 79 is kind of what the men in my family do, then I have to live in the confidence that what I have asked of the Lord awaits me on the other side, my desire. Building project. Beautifully, I will have that confidence. It continues to move through the month and the time season that we're in, but it says that he began to build the house of the Lord. Are you in a beginning right now? Building the house of the Lord. Marriages, are you beginning to build the house of the Lord? That's the great thing about the institution of both marriages, and we've seen them in our church. We've had farewell festivals. We call them memorials here, but they're farewell festivals. We're sending someone with our accolades and applause and even our tears basically commending them to the Lord, to heaven. Down on earth, things yet still happening. Babies being born, marriages being consummated, 
marriages being obviously the mark of a beautiful work of God for the building of the house. This house is starting right now after the four-year period. It says in this, this house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits. It's giving us an idea of this work that God is allowing that he spoke to David. All this said, David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me. All the details of this pattern he would be able to say. David planned it. The blueprints were made. Solomon's finding it right now. And he's now satisfying it. Stay with the blueprints that God has given to you, both in your friendships and your marriages and the rearing of your kids in your vocation. Stick to the blueprint that it might be according to what God with his hand upon you in the reading of his word has told you how to do it, how to do it right. So it says that in width and length and depth, it's a big structure. It's used in cubits, meaning 18 inches, so you can do the multiplication. It's a big structure. And with a big structure, you're going to come big things, big requirements. So don't be surprised if with a structure that God says, that's the way I want to be represented, that God in doing a big thing, even through you, a small person would say, let's do it the way that I want to do it. Oh, it seems like I'm being a little bit finicky, a little bit too precise, but let's do this project like I want it done. And so when you let go and you let God, you're very surprised, in fact, at what you can take very little credit for except yielding to the Lord. Yielding to the Lord. Solomon needed to yield, but it didn't mean that he did not have to use his mind and his heart to see that the things needing to be done would be done according to God's plan. So hence, there are tensions in our life when in the building project of the Lord working on you, working through you, and on others simultaneously, that it seems, oh, so detailed. Oh, so, man, am I not explaining it well enough? Or who would have thought that that's the way it's going to get done by that person? or in that time frame. These are the things that right now we all work through. And it's important to know because when you understand that God's the author and perfecter of your faith and he's building your life and he's using living stones that can talk to you, you can go, hey, who asked you? Uh, I'm a living stone. <laughs> and because somebody told me to shut up, the Lord has allowed me to speak. One of those other guys told me to shut up. And so the Lord has opened my mouth as a living stone. And so hence, we can have a variety of voices that are intended not to harm, but actually to bring praise and to bring honor to the Lord. The stones that could have spoken out if the disciples had been silenced would have done nothing less than what the disciples had been doing. Nothing other than what the disciples... That's why nothing contrary in the church should happen because we're all doing what pleases the Lord, what is his purpose for us. And so the coordinates as well as the dimensions are being given. It's an extraordinary work that's being done. It says in verse 3, the vestibule in the front of the sanctuary of the house was 24, it was 20 cubits long across the width of the house and the width of the vestibule 
extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. I probably came close to saying vegetable. If that makes you hungry, thanks. thank the Lord for the vegetables that you will enjoy today. Verse 4, and he made for the house windows with beveled frames. You're going to see details that really are fascinating. But a beveling for the window indicates an intricacy that not simply a common carpenter would think about. Artisans are being employed right now to do specific things that are very ornamental. The beveling indicates an angle being put on something that is probably easier than just simply a true 90-degree fashion. The beveling indicates something very intricate, something very special. And therefore, don't be surprised if all of a sudden you don't see things per se in the angle that would be so common, so predictable, because the Lord's allowing a beveling work. These are windows, meaning to some degree, they're to be seen both inside and outside. And God doesn't want it simply to be a view. He wants it to be framed as you're viewing. Very special. Let the Lord frame you. Let the beveling take, if you would, shape in your life. It's an intricate work. I've been beveled many times, and I don't think I'm a simple rectangular square. I don't know where he's finding these areas in my life that need to be intricately cut so that there's a better perspective of those looking into my life and for me, looking out on life, I always wonder, is that the last window? Oh, no. No, this is in dimensions that are beyond the common understanding, Rich. There's more. But understand, you'll see better. Other people will see better. They'll see me as you are perfectly. Moving along here with regard to the vestibule, that would be basically an entrance point. Notice this. And he made for the house windows with the beveled frames, verse 5, against the wall of the temple. He built chambers all around against the walls of the temple, all around the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary. Thus he made side chambers all around it. It continues. The lowest chamber was five cubits wide. The middle was six cubits wide. And the third was seven cubits wide. And he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened into the walls of the temple. What's being said here in this blueprint is that basically this is going to be something that defies what would be a common um, building project. In other words, we know what, you know, basically rafters are for and how the pitch needs to be on them in a particular way. We know what joists are for, and they need to have stringers that can basically support them as they're supporting greater weight of the, of the flooring. We know that things being done right in an engineering level hold up that particular structure. You know, we have something in the house that has been built way before we looked into it, that's tying these huge beams that are serving as holding up the roof. And they're rather extraordinary. We've all, many of us have looked at them and thought, huh, well, what's that for? Well, it's to create a tension on the inside so that there's not an implosion to the outside. And it's a 
giant metal rod that spans these beams with a turnbuckle and it's to cinch it up because of the weight that wants to come down. We've looked at it, many of us, marveling, some questioning, but we're just trusting Lord and inspections that have taken place. This actually was to be a structure such as not had been designed at that time. And it was to actually provoke, wow, who would have thought of that? These particular cubicles that are being built, you'll understand actually are little cloistering areas. They allow people to, if you would, pull away and to have a quiet time, a place, a space in which in the ordinance of the temple services, they can park themselves. That's kind of what we have here too. We can mark it by chairs. We can mark it by rooms. They're pulling away places. We can mark it by this altar. Some people like to come and kneel here. Some people like to go into the prayer room and to spend time in there. That's the little room just beyond the kids' room. It would be great if I could say, all of you can go there today right after the service. You go, you didn't say it was a sardine can. It wasn't a sardine can until you added yourself to the other 12 that were there. It was a little tiny cubicle for prayer. You can understand that the more that you try to put into a particular place, it changes the dynamics of the room. And the Lord is willing to say, I'm into that. I'm into changing the dynamics of the room based on the compression that I may allow to happen. You crowd a place out like this, what does it force you to do? Okay, we'll have a second service beginning at 6.45 in the morning with breakfast. So if you want breakfast and a service, come out at 6.45. No, 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 that's, I can do fine with breakfast. Can we just stay to the 10? 10, 10.30 is when we'll have our normal worship service. Come here at 10.30. Hey, Rich, the, it's getting compressed at 10.30. Can we, can we have a dozen? We'll have another time frame at 12.30, right after our mid-service, we'll be worshiping the Lord here today. And so the understanding here is that God was making provision literally for a rotation of people to come in to have both a corporate time with God through the priesthood, but also to have a time in which they could pull aside, independent, to be with him. The way that it was designed was to be able to say, who could hold up this place? We've never seen anything like this. And the place actually is being held up not fastened to the walls, but by these cubicles that were able to accommodate individuals just like you and me. How does the Lord hold up his house? Okay, well, we can say, well, he's got walls here. No, how does the Lord hold up his spiritual house? By little cubicles that you occupy, your homes, the home in your heart for the Holy Spirit. That's the way he does it. Every one of you is important. We take one of you guys out, guess what? There's a cubicle that no longer can accommodate the people that need to be there and ultimately the weight that needs to be carried. That's what it means. What else does it say here? As it's moving through the cubicles, the narrow ledges, the beams not fastened to the walls, and the temple when it was being built was built with stone, finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. And I'm going to stop there because this is really important when we look at this concept and actually truth about building back biblically. These stones would be found at quite a distance away. And notice what's happening there. 
a work is being done on them to be employed for ultimately God's purposes, and they will be brought back when they are ready. The quarry represents a time in which instruments are going to be used, some may say savagely on them. There's going to be stone dust and rocks flying. There's going to be the ear-piercing sound of hammers and chisels moving against these stones. Have you ever been involved in a project in which your ears are being assaulted by the work that's going on by machinery? I have. I have. And God's saying that's not going to be heard where these stones are going. Remember living stones like we have been told we are? We're getting worked on to be in the place that God has purpose for us to be at. And what happens in the quarry right now is kept in the quarry. <laughs> Those stones aren't permitted to cry out against God. And if they are, who's going to hear them? The workmen are doing what they are privileged and gifted to do. I wouldn't want to be one of them. I can't even imagine when you go to Israel and see the size of these stones that make the foundation that held up the temple mount, that ultimately held up the temple. I can't even imagine how they would have done it, even though the science tells us how they did it. You know, a study of history. I still can't imagine who came up with that idea. But what I wanted to say in principle is as God is working on your life as a living stone, you're going to feel the chisel. There's going to be things that will be, if you would, chiseled on as you're being perfected. And God didn't allow that noise to be heard. Therefore, it is, I think, incumbent upon us that perhaps we're not screaming as loudly as we perhaps have become acclimated to protesting. Why is this happening in my life? Why is it happening this way in my life? I didn't sign up for this. Right. You were assigned for it. You didn't sign up for it. You were assigned for it. You were purposed to be perfected, to be tumbled. You can take the illustration on a smaller scale. When you collect your rocks from the seashore, you will either find some magnificent treasures as they had been turned over by the surf extracted by the previous wave, brought back up again, and they become really special gemstones. Or what someone who would be into rocks, a gemologist does, tumbles them with other rocks for hours and hours and hours and hours and days, maybe weeks, in which they become polished by rubbing against one another. I've never passed by one of those. My grandfather had one. And I never heard those stones screaming. All I saw was the result of them being compressed and turned, turned and turned. And my grandfather would pull them out and goes, look at that one. Isn't that a gem? Well, Grandpa, they all look like gems. Yes, they do. But this is the one that I really like. Well, Grandpa, I like that one. I can see why you would. And so whether it's diamonds mined in the earth or rubies, you name it, topaz, whatever it may be, those are an illustration of ultimately the perfection that happens after great tensions upon them, great pressure upon them, great polishing through the events 
that God allowed them to go through. And therefore, in the church, in what we are titling this, building back biblically and beautifully, God wants us to allow him to do that work and to invite even the discomfort of that work through the people that he's using that challenge us in the work. Nobody is maliciously in the body of Christ trying to do anything but God's will. But at times it requires both submission from both parties within the home, submission from both parties, admission from one party to the other. Oh, I didn't know that. Or, hey, this is what I've discovered. Because God expects there to be communication. So here's the other thing. Building back biblically that there might be beauty revealed is dependent upon communicating with the Lord. How's our prayer life doing? See, if it's just following a blueprint, but we're not checking in with the Lord on how to read it for this day, how to really understand it in the next thing that I'm to do, we get confused. We all of a sudden start erasing lines. We all of a sudden start putting in our own coordinates and it doesn't work. The beauty of the building back biblically is letting God, who's the author of it, have complete construction rights over it. And that's what I'm discovering in my life. The more I let go of vision, the greater revelation I have of him. Even though I can say, but I object. Because why should I? I'm a pastor. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a brother. I've got authority. And the Lord says, uh, I gave that to you but I'm the higher authority. And this is what I'm doing right now in your life because you are contributing to a beautiful work of a temple that I'm building up using a lot of special quarried stones. And you never heard the work that was being done in their life because I never permitted you to hear it. And they never heard the work that was going on in your life because I never permitted them to hear it. I did that in a special place, a special time, with craftsmen, artisans that were scheduled to work you over and to work on you so that when I assembled you, you would be this beautiful, marvelous work for my hand, my hand.